It's that time, the Betting Predators Podcast, where our main objective is hunting down the best bets for you. I'm your host, Sleepy J. You guys can find me on Twitter at SleepyJ underscore pregame. Joined here by the UFC expert, UFC fanatic, Mean Gene. You guys can find him on Twitter as well, at MeanGene0022. And you can find his post on the best sports betting information site on the web, pregame.com. All right, Gene, here we go. UFC 264. This card is absolutely stacked. You and I, we're going to go ahead. We're going to preview three fights on the prelims and three fights on the early prelims. And then, as always, we'll go ahead and we'll do the entire main card. Gene, before we go ahead and get this one started, I'm actually really excited for this card. Now, there aren't those big marquee-type names for this particular card, but I felt that this was probably one of the better cards that I've seen throughout the entire year. Just as far as stylistic matchups are concerned, I think we see a lot of fights, probably a lot of back and forth. I don't think you're going to end up, you know, with those minus 800, minus 600, those, you know, first round knockouts where the fights last 15 seconds. It's like, you know, well, what's going on uh, with this particular matchup? These are some good fights. These are some good matchups. And for those of you guys who, you know, follow the UFC, this is probably a card that you are excited for. But I think for probably the novice better, this is a card that you want to watch to go ahead and, uh, you know, get yourself kind of, you know, excited for for UFC action uh, because there are a lot of good fights. So how are you feeling about this particular card going into this one there, Gene? Definitely. I, I love all the matchups on this card. There's 13 fights on this card, and only three of the fights have a favorite of above 300. Like you said, there's definitely going to be a lot of competitive matchups here, and there's going to be a lot of fights that I believe are just going to go back and forth. So I'm super excited for that. Normally when you have a Conor McGregor headlining a card, the rest of the card's kind of weak because they know they're going to pull in the money. They're going to pull in the pay-per-view buys with the casual fans. And here they really stack the card in the sense of having exciting fights. So I'm really happy with that. And of course, just looking forward to the, to the main event. You know, I think the UFC gene, and I don't know if this was probably something that happened during COVID, but it seems like these big name cards, you know, when you get like a Conor McGregor or, you know, one of those big heavyweight title fights, that they're putting cards together a lot better now because they want to showcase, you know, those guys like a Sh- Sugar Sean O'Malley. Like they want him to be seen by the public. They don't just want to put him on like a, on, a, on a crummy card or just on a fight night. I felt like the COVID break really kind of helped out. I wouldn't want to say the matchmakers more than anything. And you always talked about, you know, how the matchmakers always put together really good fights. But I think that they kind of got something out of, you know, when we do have these big fights, let's start showcasing, you know, these up and comer guys, even though he's going up against, you know, one of these old crafty veteran dudes who who might or might not have a name. Uh, it, do, it certainly does go ahead and, and shine spotlight on a lot of the you know younger and up and coming fighters. And I think we're going to see that uh, for this particular card. Gene, I want to dive into the early prelims here. I want to go ahead. I want to start off with uh, one of the fights that intrigues me most. Uh, Omari Akhmedov, he's going to go up. He's going to face Brad Tavares. Right now, you can go ahead and you can get Tavares at a favorite price, right around minus 165. If you do like the dog in Akhmedov, uh, you'll be seeing a price somewhere around plus 130, plus 140. So, Gene, I'm going to go ahead. You're the star of the show here. I'm going to let you go ahead and start out. What are your thoughts for Akhmedov and Tavares? Yeah, this is going to be a competitive fight, just like the line suggests. And uh, stylistically, it's an intriguing matchup. Brad Tavares has been on a little run recently, pretty much a gatekeeper of the middleweight division, put together some wins recently and, and, and looking to jump into that top 15 where you have Akhmedov. You can almost say he's a gatekeeper as well, but he, he's tough, gritty, big power on the feet, you know, he swings winging hooks and overhands. He's a high-level wrestler. He averages 2.63 takedowns per 15 minutes. He has a strong top game. So 
he, he's a grinder, and he's going up against a guy in Brad Tavares who has really good takedown defense, arguably the best in, in, in all the UFC. It's really, really hard to take him down. He, he's more of a point fighter, likes to stand the outside, pick his opponents apart. So stylistically, it's going to be interesting to see if Akhmedov can get Brad Tavares down to the ground or if Brad's going to be able to pick Akhmedov apart on the feet without catching one of his big overhand punches. Akhmedov likes to grapple a lot, and he tends to gas as the fight goes on because of his propensity to just go all in on the grappling. So Brad Tavares has a great gas tank, so I think that's going to be the difference in, in this fight. I think Brad Tavares is going to be able to to use his cardio, last all three rounds, and uh, pick Akhmedov apart. So I personally think this fight's going to go the distance. I don't really see this ending in the finish. Both guys are tough, durable, and um, the pick is Brad Tavares for me. All right, so there you go. Gene's going to go ahead. He's going to play Tavares. I think this is an interesting matchup. Akhmedov's interesting to me, Gene. The fact that he hasn't been KO'd, I think, since like 2016, and six of his last eight fights um, have gone the distance. You know, as for Tavares, you know, he's been tested. He's been able to stay, you know, in the octagon with some of these lesser-named fighters. And he generally beats, you know, these lesser-named guys. But it's generally not by KO. You know, Tavares has won 10 out of his 11 fights. I think they've went to decision. So both guys, to me, you know, they're just getting older. And I don't see that KO power. So I'm going to go ahead and play this one by decision. You had mentioned that. You get this a little bit pricey there, Gene. It's around minus 190. But I think both of these guys go in there, do their jobs. I don't think that either guy takes either guy out. So I'm going to go ahead and play that one by decision, minus the 190. Let's go ahead and move on up the card. This would be an interesting one. Jessica I is going to go ahead. She's going to fight uh, Jennifer Maya. Maya right now, minus 200 as a favorite for this fight. I feel like this line's probably right. You know, Maya, in my opinion, is closer to probably going to be the one, you know, out of these two that gets a, a, a title shot, maybe potentially again. I don't think Jessica I has a realistic path, um, you know, to go ahead and fight for the title again, unless she just, you know, rips off six or seven straight wins and does it in an impressive fashion. I think the lone fact that, you know, Maya went to a decision against Shevchenko tells us, you know, really all that we need to know. And that was the last fight for Maya. Jessica I, she's tough, but not nearly as tough, I don't think, as, as Maya is. You know, I don't see Jessica I trading punches here. Gene, that maybe a retirement coming. Um, for her maybe maybe it'll come you know after this fight I'm not sure I don't want to speculate but I just feel like that there there is that potential and Maya she wants to go ahead she wants to remain relevant I think Maya probably goes for a finish in this one maybe in the second or the third round I think that that's how she's probably going to get it done and if you look at the women's flyweight rankings uh, Calvillo is, is better than I Calderwood better than I so the only reason that you know she's taking on a top contender here is to either retire or just go ahead and get one of those big women's names, you know, to kind of help her fill out her card. No matter what, I think Maya gets it done here. I think potentially uh, submission in the second or third. So uh, I'll go ahead with that, Gene. I'll play Jen Maya to go ahead and win by submission uh, in this fight. What are you looking at for that one? Yeah, I like that bet a lot. She's a, a BJJ black belt. She is really tough on the ground, great with transitions, looking for submission. So I, I think that's a, a good angle. I'm I'm with you on this one. I definitely think Jeskai has one foot out the door. I really look at this as the UFC with Maya. You know, she surprisingly won one round against Valentina Shevchenko, which, you know, most girls can't say that. You know, lost four out of the five rounds, so she did get dominated technically. But to pull one round 
and to be on top of Shevchenko and controller for, you know, three plus minutes was um, pr- pretty impressive in, in my book. And so she's coming off that loss. I feel like they're just giving her Jessica I as more of a stepping stone. You know, they understand that Jessica I, one foot out the door. Jessica I is a tough opponent vet. You know, she's kind of fought the who's who in the division. I, I feel like this is more of a get right fight for Jennifer Maya and, and the UFC wants to highlight her skills and get her back into that mix because there are a lot of contenders for Valentina Shevchenko in general in that division. So you're always looking to, you know, prop up as many girls as you can. So that that's what I think about this fight. As for how the fight's going to go down, I mean, Jessica, I, she's terrible takedown defense. She's a bully on the feet in the, you know, in the clinch, she's strong. She likes to throw big punches on the feet, but it, it's kind of rudimentary, um, her striking game and just her overall offense in general. And I feel like Jennifer Maya is just better everywhere. She's sharp with her hands and boxing. She does a really good job of working body with uppercuts and knees, and she likes to fight in the pocket. So I foresee her just kind of picking Jessica I apart on the ground until she's able to take her down to the ground. As I said, Jessica I has terrible takedown defense. My pick is Jennifer Maya, and I do think she wins by submission. I feel like you and I probably agree that the minus 200 uh, is a justifiable line. Let's jump over to, I think this is the last fight here on the early prelims. If you guys were watching Twitter over the last couple of days, Dana White actually brought this fight up, and that's the Trevin Giles against Drickus Duplessis fight. I think this is going to be a good one, Gene. Uh, this one right now, pretty much a coin flip. I, th- I see Duplessis right now on FanDuel at around minus 118. Now, I'm going to go with Duplessis in this one, Gene. It's, I'm not super strong on this one. I'm going to go ahead and say it's probably more of a pizza bet type wager. I just feel like he's the bigger, stronger guy with more tools in his bag. I'm not impressed, you know, really with either guy's resume, but if I had to pick one, I would probably say maybe Duplessis has had a little bit of a tougher road. Winner in this one might actually end up getting the the loser maybe of the Akhmedov and Tavares fight. So I'm going to make it short and sweet here. Gene, pizza bet for me on Duplessis. I'll go ahead and I'll play him on FanDuel minus the 118. I like it. I don't love it, but that's the way that I'm going to go. How you see that Giles and Duplicis fight playing out? Yeah, this was a tough one for me to call. When I went through the article that I write up for the betting predators, I like to have an underdog of the week. And it was tough. I had some fights. That I do feel like the individual that I picked against could win the fight, but ultimately I went with who I, you know, who I went with. And so for me, ironically, this is my underdog of the night in Trevor Giles. It's it's a razor thin pick for me you know i i feel like this literally is a coin flip the line shows it as you had stated the thing with duplessis is, is he's not gonna wow you but man this dude it's a hundred percent finish rate in his fights none of his fights have gone to 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 a decision the majority of them he has finished he's 14 and 2 15 and 2 something like that so and he does it with with his striking whether he knocks you out he has sneaky knockout power or he has a really good guillotine. And the issue with Trevor Giles is he has been submitted via the guillotine multiple times in his career. So that get, that gave me pause when I was kind of breaking down this fight. But ultimately, the thing that I really like about Trevor Giles is his athleticism. He has a, a super fast jab. He works really well behind that. He, he has knockout power himself. And he's been getting better each time he gets into the cage. He's on a three-fight win streak right now against some tough opponents. You know, he beat James Krause, Bevin Lewis, okay, and then Roman uh, Dolidze, which I thought was an impressive win. I I just feel like his lightning-fast jab is going to be there all day. As long as he avoids the power shot from Duplessis, 
Um, DePlessis, like I said, he's not going to wow you with his uh, athleticism. He's kind of slow plotting. So I, I feel like that athleticism discrepancy is going to be in favor of Trevin Giles. The only issue with Trevin Giles is he has mental lapses in there. And some of his losses have come when he's winning two out of the three rounds and he just does some stupid in the third round and, and gets choked out. So I got Trevin Giles. I think he ends up squeaking out a, a decision over DuPlessis. I'm not surprised, Gene, that you probably went with Giles in this one because I know you were, you know, you were searching for an underdog. And I only found myself really looking at three dogs in here. He was one of them. As I mentioned, the odds, you know, they are really coin flippy, you know, with this particular fight. Duplessis is just a, a very small, lukewarm favorite. So I'm not surprised yet. I mean, because you, if you had to pick one, there's probably only two or three that you were probably looking at. And you were probably like, Giles might actually be the safest. Let's jump into the prelim fights here. I think you're probably rather excited, Gene, to go ahead and see this Ryan Hall against Ilya Tapura fight. Tapura right now, pretty big favorite there, Gene, minus 230. I have a pretty decent handicap for this one. I'm going to let you go and rip a run on that one first, Gene. Ryan Hall, Ilya Tapura, how you feel? Yeah, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we were preview, previewing UFC 264. And this one stood out to me because Tapura looks like he is legit. Looks like he could potentially be a, a title holder in the featherweight division. He looks spectacular in his short UFC career. He has everything. He's well-rounded. His, his incredible boxing on the feet, great wrestling. He's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu, black belt, and he's just tough, tough, strong, heart, durable. You know, he he has everything. He checks all the boxes. So, you know, it's no surprise that a lot of people are pretty high on him. And then you have, on the other end, you have Ryan Hall, who's 8-1, and, and he can't find a fight. And the reason why is he has a weird fight style, and it, it, it can be frustrating to watch, and naturally it's frustrating for his opponents to to deal with where, you know, he's looking to throw spinning kicks, you know, spinning back fists, things of that nature that you would think would be exciting. But where, where it gets frustrating for the viewer and, and the opponent is that when the opponent starts to land punches on him, he just flops. Like he's an NBA player, like he's a soccer player. He like literally flops and falls to the mat. And he wants you to come down to the mat so that he can, you know, he can grapple with you. He, he's had... Uh, five submission wins and four of those submission wins have been via heel hooks. That that's that's just his mo. He looks to to grab your leg and try to rip your leg off, you know, and take it home with him. And his opponents obviously know that. And so what they do is they just kind of stand there or run around the cage while he's flopping to the ground. So it, it ends up being a boring fight a lot of the times. And he was uh, viciously booed against Gray Maynard. It was a very controversial win for him because a lot of people felt like. He lost because he he literally was just laying on the ground. He'd land a couple shots. Maynard would land on him, and he would just flop to the ground and just lay there for like a minute, and then the ref would let him up. It, it can be frustrating, but for me, the reason why I'm excited about this is because the guy is super talented. I mean, he's 8-1. He's not just winning by submission. He's winning by knocking guys out, too, with spinning with spinning stuff as well. So, And then, obviously, that ground, ground game is pretty cool to watch when, when he's actually engaging on the ground. He's super talented with his transitions and things of that nature. So this is the UFC, right? The best of the best. And no one, you know, this guy's only 8-1, you know, a few fights in the UFC, and no one wants to fight this guy. It's it's pretty crazy. You'd think, you know, like, you'd think someone would want to fight him. He just can't find a fight. It's crazy. So I'm just happy to see him back, and I want to see you have this super prospect in Taporia that is willing to step up and fight Ryan Hall. And what's intriguing for me is that you have Taporia 
is going to engage him. I don't think Tapura is going to be like a Gray Maynard or a BJ Penn where they're just kind of, you know, trying to stay away from this guy and squeak out a win. Tapuria is is on the fast track to the top 10, top 15 um, in this division. I feel like he's not, he's not going to be scared to go to the ground with Ryan Hall. He's not going to be scared to, you know, engage um, on the feet as well with Ryan Hall or, or chase him around while he's, you know, jogging around the, the ring. So, so for me, it's a dangerous fight for Taporia because, man, you know, you're young, you got that bravado, you're like, you know, I'm going to beat this guy, and, man, you might end up falling into a heel hook. I have to lean with Taporia here. Um, but one thing I will say in saying this, I'm kind of almost hedging or going against myself, the pick is Taporia, but one prop bet that I really like this week is Ryan Hall by submission because, like I had said, his previous opponents didn't really engage – with him on the ground. So he just won like he, he won boring decisions and he did pull a heel hook on BJ Penn, but he won boring decisions in general because, because guys would not engage here. He's going to have a willing opponent that I believe will engage with him. And so when you have that over the course of three rounds and also Taporia averages like four point, I think it's like 4.8 takedowns um, per 15 minutes. So man, he's going to be looking to engage. So that's going to give Ryan Hall an opportunity to lock up a submission. So um, I, I think a sneaky bet, a pizza bet is to take Ryan Hall via submission as well. You know, I don't think those are bad bets to make there, Gene. I think if you notice that there's a guy who is particularly going out there and he's going in the octagon and he's concentrating on one thing, one thing only, maybe you notice that and you're like, you know what, this guy may not win, but maybe he's just going to go for a submission because that's just what he's been doing. Um, he's reverted back to that style of, of fighting. And then you look at the odds and you're like, you know what, maybe he's, you know, 15 to one to go ahead and win by submission. You're like, you know, there's gotta be value in that because that's kind of what he's probably going to do. Those are never bad bets. And I don't think that, you know, in the UFC that making a bet, you know, kind of against your pick when you're getting so much value um, that, 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 that there's anything really wrong with that. And yeah, I mentioned that nobody really wants to fight Ryan Hall. He has an eight and one record. Taporia ten and zero. Uh, Taporia minus two thirty. I felt like that line was probably right. You know, he is a submission specialist. I watched the last couple fights for him over the last couple of days. I just got in like this like UFC groove there, Gene. And I was like not familiar with him by name, but after I started turning on the fights and watching him, I'm like, I remember some of these fights that we actually had picked and we previewed. And to me, he just has a ton of weapons as I watch him. You know, he's strong. He'll fight in a phone booth if he needs to. Now, I know it's probably not the best next fight maybe for him, but maybe we see somebody like a Cub Swanson step in and he tries to get somebody like that, you know, on his resume. But I do think it's clear. I think he's probably the better fighter and he's going to end up, you know, more than likely, Gene, I think you would agree. He's going to end up in some really big fights uh, probably over the next couple of years. And I, as we mentioned before, you know, this is a great card, you know, to go hasten, to go ahead and showcase a guy like this. To be honest with you, I don't know how he gets it done, but I certainly think he wins this one for sure. And one of my concerns for Hall is that he just hasn't been active. You know, who is he really beaten that's good? I really don't see a whole lot of guys on his card that, that really is impressive to me. And Tapuria's fights, you know, they generally don't last that long. I think he has like, what, eight or nine first round stoppages um over like a, a decent period of time so i'm gonna go ahead i'll probably play taporia uh to win and then i'm also gonna go ahead and use him in the first round and i'll probably plug him into a parlay so i'll have him in a bunch of spots here 
But again, I don't think there's anything wrong with you going ahead and, and throwing Hall in there, um, maybe to win by submission, you know, if you're getting a pretty good price. So that's going to be an interesting fight. I was interested in a Nico Price fight against Michelle Fajeda. Uh, Fajeda right now going to be around minus 160. As I, I wanted to see this one, Gene, I wanted to handicap this one. But to be honest with you, I don't have a pick for this fight, Gene. I had to go back to the last Nico Price fight that we saw, and that was against Cerrone. And after seeing Cerrone, you know, over his last couple fights and seeing him basically just dissolve, you know, over the last year or two, I'm not sure that that fight looks all that great for Nico Price. Now, Fajeda, um, he's tough. He's won two in a row, and it would be Fajeda or nothing for me. I'm going to pass because I, I kind of like the heart that I see from Nico. And you know that you know him just from watching him, Gene, that he's going to get in there and he's going to get in some goofy fight. He's going to you never know how his fights are going to go or how they're going to end. But one way or another, it's not just going to be normal because somebody like Fajeda, I mean, you don't know what you're going to get from that guy either. Like he can throw so many crazy things at you. I just don't know which way to go in this one. So I'm going to go ahead and pass. I'm guessing this is probably a fight that you're looking for. Maybe have fight of the night all on it. I don't know. But this should be an interesting one there, Gene. How you seeing that Nico Price, Michelle Fajeda fight? Man, you're spot on with, with that last comment. This bout for sure for me is probably fight of the night. Outside of, you know, obviously Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. Immediately, this was the fight. I was like, this has fight of the night written all over it. You know, Nico Price and Michelle, Michelle Fajeda are both action fighters and they look to pressure their opponents while throwing the vast array of strikes from all angles. So yeah, definitely fight of the night for me. Um, and like you said, you know, Nico price, it's, it's tough to handicap this because Nico price is tough and durable and he's always looking to knock you out at all costs. He blitzes forward. He's a methodical striker. My only knock on him is that he, he's not special when it comes to striking. He's kind of your, your standard one, two, you know, nothing super flashy. He does throw, like I said, a vast array of strikes, but nothing, he doesn't really use his feints or fakes, or he doesn't really get his opponents um, off balance or anything like that. Where on the other end, you know, Michelle Pajeda is notoriously known for his flashy striking. You know, he throws a lot of wild spinning strikes. Um, and in the past that led to him gassing out and, and losing fights to opponents, he was clearly better than. And, and, and since then, He's really refined his game and he's become more of a patient and calculated striker who uses those feints and varied striking to keep his opponent off balance. So uh, for me in, in this fight, it was tough um, to go against Nico Price, but I got to go with Michelle Fajeda. I just feel like he's finally harnessing his athletic abilities and, and releasing them on his opponents, you know, in a, in a calculated way, whereas before it was just, I'm going to be this goofy guy. I'm going to dance to the cage and then I'm going to do backflips and, you know, jump off the key. I mean, this guy in his loss to Tristan Conley, I, th I believe it was, this guy literally like took six minutes, six, seven minutes to get to the cage because he was dancing, break dancing to the cage. And then once he got in the cage, he was doing backflips. He was trying to like literally land a backflip, like stomp on Tristan Conley jumping off the cage. It was just, listen, it was fun to watch, but it was also kind of ridiculous. And that's that was him his whole career, and that's why his record is what it is, why he has so many losses. But like I said, he's finally kind of harnessed that athletic ability and, and finally realized, like, hey, man, I am a good fighter. I have skills. I potentially could, you know, work my way to a title or at least, you know, let's just say top, you know, top 10 opponents. And that's what we've seen out of him in his last three fights. So, I just feel like he's not, you know, he's not reckless anymore. This is the best we've seen in his career. 
Um, Price, of course, is always live for the knockout in this tough to hang with Pajeda for the duration of the fight. But however, you know, I just feel like Pajeda's superior striking skills will allow him to pick Price apart across three rounds. And uh, I, I really believe Pajeda's foot movements and feints are going to keep Price guessing and off balance throughout this matchup. So for me, the, yeah, the pick is M- Michelle Pajeda. I actually like him. It's one of my you know best bets. I'm glad you brought that up there, Gene, because that was one thing that I wanted to go ahead and mention was that he's just hyper, hyper athletic and it, it creates for, you know, an action packed kind of fight. So it's more, you know, that there's a show too um, involved with this entire card, especially in that particular fight. Let's go up and close up our, our last prelim fight here. We got Carlos Condit. He's going to go up against Max Griffin. Griffin right now looking at around minus 190. Looking at the odds there, Gene, and the results from, you know, both of these fighters in their last few fights, I'd probably say Griffin maybe doesn't deserve to be this kind of a favorite. Now, I give Condit some credit uh, for beating two good fighters in Matt Brown and Court McGee in the last two. Griffin, he is the younger fighter, but he is smaller. Griffin with his last two fights, you know, ending in KO versus Kanan and Brahimage. Maybe this is the last gasp for Condit and his last two wins, you know, kind of just really motivate him. I think Griffin needs to go ahead and get this particular name on his resume and in the win column for him. So I'm torn on the fight. I do think this one probably goes the distance, Gene. I don't see either guy knocking each other out or probably submitting each other either. I can't take the favorite. One, I don't agree with the price. And the price is kind of what scares me away from, you know, taking Condit. Uh, minus 190. I generally don't like to go ahead and fade that either. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to play the distance gene to go the distance. And right now, I believe you can go ahead and get that one uh, right around minus 170. So that's how I feel for that one. That's the way I'm going to attack that fight. How are you feeling about Carlos Conn and Max Griffin? Yeah, if if, if you would have told me Max Griffin was this big of a favorite against Carlos Condit, you know, a couple years ago, I would have laughed at you. You know, I, I really feel like, you know, just on name value, this line's off. But um, skill wise, I do think Max Griffin deserves to be the, the favorite at this point. This big of a favorite? No, I, I don't think it should be th- this big of a favorite. And, and with you, that's why it, it scared me off. When I first saw this fight and didn't look at the line, I was like, Max Griffin all day, just based off their skills. But once I saw the line, it, it just worries me. You know, Carlos Conn is, is a vet. He's fought the who's who. He's still a gamer. Um, and he's been on a little win streak. Yeah, granted, it's against, you know, a couple – aging guys and in, in Court McGee and, and Matt Brown, but um, he's the skill is still there. You, you you can see it. Max Griffin has been on a, on a little run recently, but sorry to say it's Max Griffin, 17 and eight. There's nothing special there. You know, when he goes up against the better names in his division, he loses. Zaleski, Melinder, Alves, you know, Morano, Alex, uh, Ola, uh, Cowboy Oliveira. Like he's only beaten guys that, you know, are lower tier. So, now he's going up against Carlos Condit, and I just I feel like the reason why he's the favorite, like I said, is because of the skill. He has the grappling, and and that's the key to this fight. Condit has always had issues with with, with um, his takedown defense, and he's okay with you know being on his back and looking for submissions and kind of riding out the round on his back because he feels like he can throw elbows from the bottom and 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 lock up a submission. But uh, Max Griffin. You know, if if they're in that position in this fight, Max Griffin's just going to control them. You know, and just grind out points is, is what I what, is what I see. So I'm with you on this fight going to a decision. I don't see Carlos Condit getting finished. It, it's Carlos Condit. It, it, it's it's very hard to to finish him. 
And as for Max Griffin, Max Griffin just doesn't finish anyone really. Um, the last couple ones, um, he did his last one. He did end up winning via punch, and then the one before that was a gruesome ear injury to Vermont. But other than that, it's all decisions for this guy um, for the most part in his in his career. And Carlos Condon is just tough. Carlos Condon rarely gets finished. I just see this fight. If it's on the feet, you already know Carlos Condon's going to be throwing his kicks, throwing elbows, working his combos, things of that nature. And then with Griffin, Griffin has tight boxing as well. He's aggressive. He sits down on his punches, so he does have power on, on the feet. But he struggles at range. And, you know, Carlos Condon does fight at range. So it's really for Max Griffin to win this fight, he has to take Carlos Condon down. And I do think he will take him down. So the pick for, for me is Max Griffin, but I'm staying far away from this fight. I, I Who knows what's going to happen? I wouldn't be surprised if Carlos Condit, you know, gets his third win in a row. And all of a sudden we're talking about, wow, is this guy, you know, is he going to end up fighting the top 15 guys? He kind of back at the end of his career. So um, pick is Max Griffin. But like I said, I'm going to stay away from this fight. You know, it's funny that you just said that, Gene, because I was thinking the same thing as I was going through this one. I was wondering if, if Condit wins, you know, where does he go? But I worry that this is like a, in my opinion, it's a step up in class for him. And could we see him look really, really pedestrian? Because we've seen that from, you know, these grizzled vets who, you know, have these big names that, you know, have wowed once before. And then they step in there and it's like, you know what? And, and I'm just thinking of it from like a like a Dana White perspective. He's like, you know what? Like, I, I kind of just knew that this was going to happen. Like, I was going to get this type of an effort from this guy. Uh, why did I put him on this big card? I think there's a possibility for that as well. So let's jump into the main card here, Gene. We're going to start out with one that I don't think is going to last very long. Uh, Sugar Sean O'Malley, he's going to go up against uh, Chris Moutinho. Sean O'Malley was supposed to go ahead and fight Smolka. Smolka is now out. Gene, I don't know how you see this one playing out, but you can't play O'Malley. He's minus 1,000. At some books, you can get him at like minus, minus 800. I think it's, it's an easy call. Play O'Malley to go ahead and win in the first round. You can get that on FanDuel at plus 110. He's going to come out and he's going to try to go ahead and make a, you know, make a big splash. And I just think he's going to end this one early. I went through and I looked for some of the fights for Moutinho and I couldn't really find a whole lot um, with, with anything that, that kind of made me think that, that this guy has a particular shot. Uh, we know O'Malley and, and what happened in his last fight. He wants to make a statement and there's a reason why he's on this particular card. And Dana wants, wants to show this, you know, what this guy can do. I was looking at, at his uh, Twitter account the other day. Uh, he has more followers than you would expect, a lot more than than some of the bigger guy names uh, in the sport. So it's clear that this guy's growing. You know, he's flashy. I think he goes out. He gets a first-round win. I'll play that on FanDuel there, Gene, at plus 110. Sean O'Malley, first-round finish. What are you thinking about for the Sean O'Malley fight? Yeah, there's not much to be said. I mean, it's it's Sean O'Malley wins by by KO. I mean, that's – and that's what's funny about this. He's He's – um, favorite, you know, minus 900 or whatever it is. And then if you want to take them by KO, you know, you're trying to get a better price. That's like close to minus 300. So, I mean, you already know what, what, what the odds makers and what, what everyone knows. I mean, this was a, a short notice fight for this, for this young guy props to him stepping up, but he, he really stands no chance against, against O'Malley. This guy, I did the smallest of research on him. And yeah, he likes to stand and bang. I mean, he's been knocked out multiple times in his career. You know, he pushes forty; has no problem getting into into a fist fight on the feet. So, and that's the 
that's the best matchup for for O'Malley. Is a guy that's just willing to come forward and and, and throw bombs. And and O'Malley has precision striking. He's going to pick them apart and knock them out via KO. So, you know, immediately I was like, I'm going to jump on the KO prop. But then I look at it, and it's minus three hundred. I'm like, Jesus. I mean, I can't even jump on that. Um. So, um, with you saying in the first round, yeah. I mean, I I think that's that's the way you're going to have to go with with this if you want O'Malley. O'Malley definitely is 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 a big star in the UFC in the sense of, um, you know, he's not Conor McGregor yet, but he has that potential. A lot of people follow him. He's a controversial dude as well, so that's going to bring in some fans, and he's going to have that love-hate relationship um, with the fan base, which is always going to, you know, get your views and, and get your clicks. So um, the UFC realizes that, you know, the UFC is would love for this guy to hold the title, and I feel like after you know, Luis Smoka was a stepping stone for him to jump up into like a bigger name. Unfortunately, Smoka couldn't make this fight, so then they tried to get some other guys, and some guys threw their names in. Uh, Marab was throwing his name in. Uh, Brian Kelleher threw his name in. Uh, Cody Stamen threw his name in. But th- the thing about and Ricky Simon as well, he was really close to fighting Ricky Simon. You know, if he would have fought like a Ricky Simon, man, that's someone that really would have given him some trouble because Ricky Simon can, can, can bang on the feet, but he also can wrestle. And as we know, you know, Sean O'Malley is a striker. He's had trouble with wrestlers in the past. So it would have been interesting to see that matchup, but in the end, none of these guys can make weight. I just want to make this clear because there's, you know, there are a lot of people that hate on Sean O'Malley and a lot of people that threw their name quote unquote into the ring to fight him. But at the end of the day, these guys couldn't make the weight. So the UFC had to go with this this guy that was willing to step up on short notice. And, of course, it's an easy fight, quote-unquote, for Sean O'Malley. But it's good for him to be on the on the pay-per-view, to open up the pay-per-view, and potentially get a knockout victory. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up calling out a big name after this and, and getting a, a big fight. I do like Sean O'Malley. There's some things I don't like that he says or does. But as just a pure fighter, I do like the guy. I do think he has star potential, and I just want to see him against a legit, you know, top fifteen guy. And um, so that's what sucks about Smoker falling out. But I do think if he does come out, knock this guy out in the first two rounds, I think the UFC is going to reward him with a big name. And, and man, you know, the, the sky's the limit if this kid can continue to win and, and win in spectacular fashion. You know, Gene, you and I, when we were doing our podcast, I want to say maybe it was a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about uh, O'Malley when we were doing like a preview and we were talking, he was probably going to end up with a tougher fight than Smolka. And that wasn't the case. And I was looking at guys like Kelleher. I was looking at guys like Stamen. You mentioned Simon. I was like, you know what? They're all potential. And then I started to think about it a little bit more. And I'm like, you know what? This is a good card to go out there and get him a big flashy win and then hurry up and turn him right back around and put him in the ring with somebody, you know, maybe like a Kelleher. I was thinking he would, might be like one of the first guys or, or a Stamen. I think that, he, there, that there's a possibility of that too as well. So my gut feeling says that O'Malley comes in here, he wins in impressive fashion, and we see him on another card, on another main card uh, very soon. I, I think they're going to turn him right around real quick. Because one of the things I think with a lot of the fighters on this particular card, maybe a Duplessis or somebody like that, or a Taporia, like those guys right now, they're going to have the spotlight on them. And a guy like Sean O'Malley, they're going to turn these guys around really quick. You know, if they end up not getting their rear ends beat up and they go through a war or something like that. But they're going to turn a bunch of these guys around uh, for another big card because this card is so big. Now I have a feeling that O'Malley, he's going to get, you know, one of those bigger fights. 
And look, he probably needed a tune-up fight too as well, Gene. I mean, you know what happened in the last fight. So why not go ahead and get him a tune-up fight right now, turn him around quick, give him a big name on a big card, and I think everything will go ahead and, uh, you know, it'll eventually go ahead and transpire here for Sean O'Malley as time goes on. Let's jump into one of the women fights. You got Irene Aldana. She's going to go ahead. She's going to fight Yana Kuntzakaya. Uh, Aldana right now minus 120. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take her, Gene. I think she's probably the bigger, stronger fighter. And sometimes for me, Gene, with women in general, I don't know if this is if this is true or not, but I just have a feeling like the bigger, stronger fighters, they they, they just they become too much for the smaller you know, for the smaller women. Now, both of these women are strikers, but I got to give a credit where credit's due to Aldana for going ahead and going a full five rounds against Holly Holmes, who, you know, we know how good of a striker she is. I mean, that, that she can box. So I think this is a big drop down in class here, Gene, uh, for Aldana. I think the odds are pretty good at minus 120. I think minus 50 still makes sense if, if the odds do go up. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to buy Aldana here. And as for Kuntzakaya, I don't have anything bad to say. I just don't like the size difference. And, you know, she's eked out some wins and some losses against some fighters who aren't necessarily, you know, the top fighters in this division. Uh, she did beat Vera, but so did Aldana. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to play Aldana here to go ahead and win by decision. And I'll probably go ahead and play her minus the 120 as well. That's what I'll do for that fight. Gene, how are you feeling about that one? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, it's funny that breakdown. Um the listeners, you know, whether they know this or not, you know, we don't exchange notes before we do these podcasts. Um, obviously, we had that preview card a couple of weeks ago and discussed some of the fights, but, you know, we didn't get into, you know, how we were really breaking down these fights. So it's ironic that you had just given that breakdown because, man, you're spot on the way that, that you broke this fight down. And I'm on the same side. You know, this card is stacked with, with a lot of important divisional matchups that I feel like a lot of people aren't picking up on and and this is one of them because both these fighters are in the bantamweight division and in the bantamweight division struggles to find new contenders to challenge Amanda Nunes and um, a win by either woman here is like at the very least going to have their name in the conversation as a potential future opponent for the champion you know Irene Aldana was on on that path if she would have beaten Holly Holm in her last fight she probably would be fighting Amanda Nunes right now instead of uh, Julia Pena um, in August. So um, she had that slip up. Hey, it's Holly Holm, man. She's a tough vet. It is what it is. You know, she she learned from that fight. I really believe like she she learned from that fight. And for this fight, I really feel like it's going to be contested on the feet. You know, both fighters do their best work on the feet. Aldana has a ridiculous 84% takedown defense in her nine-fight UFC career. And Kuntzakaya only averages 1.6 takedowns per fight. And that's not even her game. You know, she's, she's a stand-up fighter. And I really believe this is going to be a back and forth striking affair on the feet between these two women. Aldana has a clear advantage in power and output. You know, she lands 5.5 strikes per 15 minutes. Um, the only thing that worries me about her is she absorbs more than she than than she lands. So she 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 lands 5.52 strikes, but then she absorbs 5.97 strikes. And in the Holly Holm fight, like Holly Holm landed. I, believe it was over 140 strikes in that fight, which is crazy. And then on the other end, you know, Kunzakaya is more defensively sound. She lands 4.22 strikes per um, 15 minutes and only absorbs 2.62. Um, so that's the only thing that worries me a little bit. You know, Aldana is hittable, but they're saying those numbers, you would think that would lean Kunzakaya for sure. But 
I just can't go that way. I, I'm with you in the sense of the power. I feel like the power is going to be a difference here. And, and her, her volume as well, you know, she's going to have the higher output. She does a really good job of mixing in leg kicks as well to the lead leg of her opponents. And she keeps them off balance. Um, she throws a hard jab. Um, she's knocked out women in this division. She's one of the hardest hitters in the division outside of Amanda Nunes. And she's one of the hardest hitters in, in, in all of women's MMA in the UFC. So I just really feel like the combination of, of that power um, and then her movement as well on the feet is going to give Kuntzakaya issues. Um, I don't feel like it's going to go to the ground, but Kuntzakaya is terrible on the ground off of her back. She is strong. So in the clinch, I feel like, you know, if she wants to win this fight or at least dirty it, she's going to probably want to clinch up with Aldana, slow her down, get her up, up, up against the cage and kind of try to, you know, outpoint her in that sense. But, um, I, you know, I, I just, Aldana has enough strength to, to, to break those clinches, land her shots. And, uh, eventually I, I think it will go to a decision. Majority of women's fights end up going to the decision. Um, so I do think Aldana and, and Kuntzakaya is tough. So I, I do think it will go to a decision, but I think Aldana will get her hand raised at the end. And, and, and I will just say, I would not be surprised if she did, if Aldana did knock out Kuntzakaya because, Man, like I said, she has legit knockout power. She has knocked out um, numerous opponents in her career. All right, great breakdown there from Gene on that particular fight. Gene, I think you're going to end up, I'm guessing you might end up with the same exact wager for me for the next one. That's Ty Tuivasa. He's going to go ahead. He's going to fight Greg Hardy. Tuivasa, he's going to be a minus 140 favorite in this one. Here's my breakdown, Gene. Hardy has to go ahead. He has to get this one over early. You know, he does have some questionable cardio. I saw Hardy's last fight, and his cardio worried me, you know, when he went in and he fought Tabura. And Tabura's good. You know, he's big, and he kind of just – I think he kind of just waited for Hardy to kind of tire out before he went and he tried to piece him up. And I think Tuivasa might actually think the same thing for this particular fight. I feel like Tuivasa probably has the better cardio. Now, he is the much smaller fighter, so getting in the Hardy strike zone might actually be a little bit tough. Hardy three inches taller. He does have a five-inch reach advantage. And that could be massive for this particular fight. Tuvasa has only had one fight out of his last 20 that he's won after the first round. Let me repeat that again. Tuvasa has had only one fight out of his last 20 that have gone after the first round. So this is a KO in the first round for me. I'm looking to go ahead and make that bet and not bet a fighter in this one first round KO. Tuvasa has lost his last three fights that went past the first round. So I don't think this goes very long, Gene. This is an explosive KO by one of these guys or the other. Now, I don't want to pick a fighter. I just want to pick these guys to go ahead and knock each other out in the first round. And you can go ahead and you can get that at plus 190. I was surprised at that price. I thought this one would be closer to even money. But, Gene, I don't know how you feel about two of Asa Hardy. I think it ends in the first round. I think it ends in a KO. So plus 190, that's an easy call for me. How you feeling about two of Asa and Hardy? Yeah, I, I love I love that bet. I, I I did not even really think of it from 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 that angle. Um, I, and it's heavyweight, so naturally these guys throw heavy bombs, and it could easily end in the first round. So yeah, I, I like that a lot. Um, as for for my breakdown on this, um, it, it's pretty simple. Greg Hardy, of course, you know um, he came from the NFL, so he had there's growing pains, and I'm actually pretty impressed by you know by him. Um, the UFC kind of threw him 
into the fire. I feel like, you know, he really should have been on the amateur scene first. He's, he just started his career as a pro in the UFC. It's pretty crazy. He, he went five rounds against uh, Alexander Volkov, which, you know, he's top five heavyweight. And um, against Tybura, he had success in the first round. He was being Tybura. It was just, you know, in that second round, he gassed out and got submitted on the ground. So I, I've been impressed with Greg Hardy. Um, the UFC, as crazy as it sounds, initially, I think, before the the outrage, maybe maybe it was a, a typo, but they actually had this as the uh, the co-main event when they first um, sent out their official you know lineup for this card, and there's a lot of backlash based off that because of the next fight we're going to get into, um, the actual co-main event, which is spectacular. Um, and I was part of that outrage. There's no way that this should have been a co-main event, but um, I I do feel like. Uh, the UFC, what they were thinking and initially putting as a co-main event is it's going to be fireworks. Both these guys throw bombs. Both these guys go forward. Um, you know, Tuavasa is super tough, has heavy leg kicks. I think that's going to be the difference in this fight. Um, I'm picking Ty Tuavasa here. I think his leg kicks, I think he's going to chop Greg Hardy down. You spoke on the on the cardio. You're spot on with the cardio. Greg Hardy, first round looks spectacular, man. I mean, he looks like, man... Um, for for a guy that you know has only had nine fights in the UFC and just picked up you know MMA what three years ago two and a half years ago whatever it is it's like it's pretty pretty impressive his skills in the cage um, but his cardio is just an issue I mean Tybora that was a big fight for this guy and I'll be honest I I, I bet on Greg Hardy in that fight unfortunately I was on the wrong end of that but. I just felt like, man, he has been improving. He's been getting better. He's kind of turned into a point fighter recently, um, surprisingly, uh, more than a knockout guy. Um, but he still, you know, looks to land the big the big shot, of course. But um, he was looking good in that fight, and I thought, man, if he would have beat him, he wouldn't – I don't think he would have been fighting Ty Tuavas. I think he would have been fighting, you know, a ranked opponent, to be honest with you. Um, but unfortunately for him, he lost to Ty Bora. And now he's in here with Tai Tuavasa, who Tai Tuavasa as well. A lot of hype behind him. He had he didn't have the best run in the UFC. He got cut, and the UFC brought him back, and he's actually looked a little bit better. So, uh, honestly, I feel like this is more of a stepping stone for – I feel like this is the type of fight where it's like, hey, Greg Hardy, are you for real? We're going to keep you in, in the UFC. You know, you bring eyes to, to the screen, obviously, because of your name. You're in, in, in the NFL and all that stuff. So he's still going to be in the UFC, but I feel like they're just giving him this fight. This is a stand-up, a stand-up striker, a guy that you can quote unquote beat. If you can't beat him, like for Ty Tuavasa, we're just going to use Greg Hardy's name, a name value um, for Ty Tuavasa to kind of jump up into into that top fifteen, top ten. So um, I expect Ty Tuavasa to just chop Greg Hardy up. Um, on the feet and land a big shot in, in the first two rounds. So my pick is tied to Avasa via KO. All right, so all stuff on that fight. Gene, this was the fight that I struggled with the most because I had no idea. Gilbert Burns, Stephen Thompson. I think this one has potential to have a lot of fireworks. Stephen Thompson, he's going to be minus 160. I'm going to give you my handicap, Gene. I'm going to rip through it real quick, and then I'm going to let you go ahead and talk. And then I'll give you probably a bunch of final thoughts that I have. Uh, for this particular fight, because to be honest with you, I don't know what to do with this fight. This was the toughest fight for me on this entire card. You know, I respect both guys, and my difficulty with this one was really, how do these guys get to win? You know, what what is their path for both fighters? And I could see Burns getting a first-round KO. Maybe Burns can get, you know, to the cards and win with ground and pound. 
I could see Thompson maybe getting a late KO or being the guy who just, you know, just puts up so much volume that he gets to the cards and he gets the win. You know, we we know Burns has power. It kind of diminishes after a little while. And Thompson, in my opinion, some people may argue with this. I don't think he has that real KO type of power. But seeing Burns get staggered, you know, against Usman, and he seamlessly, Gene, he just never recovered, you know, for a long period of time. And that has me questioning his chin. It has me questioning, you know, his equilibrium, you know, what happens when he gets whacked. And I worry about Wonder Boy, you know, if this gets to the mat, you know, maybe for an extended period, that I think Wonder Boy probably doesn't have the big advantage, you know, on the ground. And then it starts taking away from the volume and the variety of stuff, you know, that he can do. Wonder Boy, he, I, I like the fact that, you know, he mixes up his punches and he'll throw a lot of head kicks and maybe some elbows and, and some knees. So I'm just torn. Burns off a loss is still in the picture, and that has me thinking rebound. Wonderboy is right there, too, and a win for him means, you know, probably title picture. So I'm just not sure. So after that, I stopped and I thought about this one for even longer, and I figure it this way. I don't like either of these guys' stand-up defense at all. I'm sure of that. that I, I convinced myself of that. I don't like the defense. Burns... I have a feeling he might actually go ahead and, and, and try to do something different and try to get Wonder Boy down to the ground. Wonder Boy does have good takedown defense. So there I am again. Uh, I'm thinking about this all over again. And I don't believe that Wonder Boy packs that, that big type of power. But he will pack enough punches. And I do believe that he'll pack enough kicks that he'll outland Burns, you know, on the cards for sure. So the more I think about this, Gene, I think this one ends in a bloodbath. And I'm not going to give out my wager yet because I'm probably going to surprise you with the wager that I'm going to make in this fight. But I have a feeling that this one ends up in a bloodbath. I have two wagers I'm going to give out, but I'm going to let you go ahead and rip and run. I don't know if you felt the same or if you kind of thought it along the same lines as me, if you had any difficulty with this one. But I was just kind of throwing out my thoughts about what I thought about this. And, and to sum it all up, Gene, it was really the path to victory for each guy that was really throwing me off. Um, I think I know what I'm going to get from both guys. And I think the easiest prediction for me is that this one's going to be a bloodbath. That's how I feel. How do you feel about Gilbert Burns, Stephen Thompson? What do you got? Yeah. So for me, I'm on the opposite side. This, I had no issues handicapping this fight. Um, when this fight was announced, I, I knew immediately who I was going with. Um, and I'll get to it. But, you know, outside of the main event, you know, this fight – is what I'm most looking forward to uh, for a couple of reasons. I want to see if Gilbert Burns really is a top five welterweight or if he's just a product of the pandemic where he beat a couple wash veterans and then that got him the title shot against Usman. And you saw what happened in that fight. Of course, he had that nice little, you know, he, he rattled uh, Usman in the first round, but after that, he just got dominated. And then on the other side, I just want to see if Steven Thompson is for real with this late career um, resurgence that he's had. Um, he's like 38 years old now and, you know, this is it for him. This is, you know, arguably outside of the title fight is is the biggest is the biggest fight for him, and um, because if he loses this fight, I don't think he's going to be there for, uh, you know, he's not going to be in the title fight mix. Um, so uh, for Burns, you know, breaking this fight down now. So for Burns, you know, getting the fight to the ground is his best best path to victory. He's drastically improved his wrestling since he was working with Usman for all those years. And not to mention, you know, he's one of the best uh, BJJ practitioners in the UFC. So if he gets the fight to the ground, 
he's going to use his strength to control Thompson and transition to submissions. And his transition game is 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 beautiful, man. It it, it really is. It, it's it, it's an art. And um, but for me, I really feel like this fight is going to be contested on the feet. And for Burns, like you had said, you know, he has knockout power. He's no slouch on the feet. He throws beautiful combinations. He has legit power. The one uh, the one combination I like a lot from him is his uppercut to a hook. He does a really good job of of. of throwing like a slick power upper, uppercut and finishing with a hook. Um, and, you know, Thompson's been hurt in, in the past, you know, on the feet. So um, that's a little bit worrisome. For Thompson, uh, obviously he wants to keep this fight on the feet. He doesn't want to go to the ground. He's this amazingly skilled striker on the feet. He has a karate style that often gives his opponents problems. Um, he's really hard to figure out. You know, he constantly switches stances and utilizes his foot movements and faint, feints. Uh, to draw his opponents into uncomfortable positions. So, um, but for me, the thing I really love about him is his striking uh, in the sense of the precision. He has super precise striking, which ultimately, you know, he's not a big guy. It's not like he lands like crazy power shots because of his strength or his mass, but because he's so precise, he he knocks guys out. That That's the thing with him. He's so precise that he can knock guys out. Um, and he throws at crazy angles. He has a re- he has a really good jab, good one twos, you know, a good straight left um, with decent power behind it. And um, obviously, as a karate um, karate based striker, he has amazing kicks as well. Um, he does a good job of throwing, you know, throwing a punch with a kick right behind it and, and knocking guys out. So, um, you know, there's a lot to this breakdown. I, you know, bear with me. I'm super excited for this fight. Uh, like I said, when this was first announced, I already knew who I was taking and stuff. So I really kind of dove into this and, and broke this down. So um, uh, as for his length, you know, with Thompson, I believe that's going to be key to to this fight. His length and his elusiveness. He does a really good job of cutting off the cage, um, getting out of trouble uh, when his opponent's throwing big shots. And I feel like that's going to be key, the key to this fight. Um, you know, Thompson lands uh, 4.24 strikes. And he only absorbs 2.8 strikes per minute. And that's because of his elusiveness. And then you have Burns on the other end who has a propensity to get into firefights where, you know, he's throwing throwing and landing 3.2 strikes per minute, but then he's absorbing 3.0 strikes, you know, per minute. So it's like, it, for me, it's a recipe for a stand-up fight. And if it is indeed on the feet, it's Thompson's fight to lose. You know, he is a puzzle that most fighters just have trouble figuring out in his career. And you saw with Jeff Neal, I bet on Jeff Neal. I lost money on that. I took Jeff Neal thinking like, man, Jeff Neal's surgeon. Um, he's the future of the welterweight division. He's fighting Thompson, who at that time, I believe was 37 years old. Um, so I just thought it was like, you know, Thompson, you're done. You had your title shot. Jeff Neal is going to come in here and show, you know, the, the, the new breed of the welterweight division. He just, I mean, he just stymied him. He had, he had no, Jeff Neal looked like, he looked like an amateur fighter against, you know, the UFC's elite. It, it was crazy. And, and, and that, and that happens a lot with Steven Thompson because of his movements and because of his elusiveness, um, fighters and his fa- his, uh, feints as well. Like fighters just don't know how to solve that puzzle. So, you know, for me in the end, um, I, I just really feel like Thompson, that elusiveness, his precision striking, um, is going to, is going to end up, um, is going to end up being the difference in this fight. And and I believe he just picks a uh, burns apart on the feet. 
in route to a dominant decision victory. I do think it's going to be a decision victory. Can I see Tom? Can I see both of them knocking each other out? Hundred percent. They both can knock each other out, but I just feel like you know because of Thompson's style, the way he you know way he fights on the outside, kind of picks guys apart. I feel like it's going to go to a decision. And man, it, again, it's one of my my best bets on this card. I, I got Stephen Thompson. I, I I think he pretty much dominates uh, over Burns. All right, fantastic breakdown there from Gene. You said a lot in there, Gene. You made a lot of sense with a lot of the things that you said. Here was my 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 thought, and it was the thing that you said that most excited me, is that you said it was going to go the distance. And I'm playing that. That's the one wager that I'm going to make. And the other wager that I think that you probably could make in this one, and it has to go the distance, is play draw. I think there's a good chance that this could end in a draw, a bloodbath type of draw. I could see both of these guys winning and potentially not getting that title shot. I could see both of these guys losing or and then there maybe being a rematch or something of that nature. So I do think that there's a good chance to go ahead and play a draw in this particular fight. If I had a really, really lean one way or the other, Gene, I would probably go with you with Thompson. But I don't know if I would play him by decision because I feel like I would be greedy. Because I have a feeling, and this is just my my gut feeling, is that Burns, from what he showed me in the U, and I know it's Usman. Look, Duke of Box, you and I talked about you know how vicious of a jab that he has. But Burns couldn't recover, and that worried me. And I think, as you had mentioned, how Thompson, he'll throw that quick jab or he'll throw that hook, boom, followed by a kick. I could see Burns maybe in the third round or something like that late when he's just gassed out, tired, and if Thompson could piece him up, I could see Thompson landing a head kick and knocking Burns out, and that'd be the end of it. I could see that happening. As I was thinking through everything, I'm like, that would be cool to see, especially if I can give that give that out as a handicap. So I wouldn't rule out Thompson winning by head kick. I think that that's certainly uh, one way to go. But the two wagers I'm going to give you guys, this one goes the distance, and I believe that there's a shot that this ends in a draw. And at 50 to 1, uh, I'll go ahead and I'll play that. How do you feel about the draw wager there, Gene? And then how do you feel maybe about, uh, you know, Thompson winning this one uh, with a head kick KO? Because that was kind of the one way that I saw Thompson being sneaky where maybe not a lot of people were going to go, that's how he's going to win this fight. That's kind of what I was just thinking. Yeah, so in regards to the draw, ironically, um, if, if you're going to bet a draw on any fighter or any matchup, you know, maybe uh, Steven Thompson would, would be that because, you know, he had the draw against Woodley um, in their title fight. So, um, I mean, obviously a draw is like a true long shot, like a tenth of a unit type of thing on it is, is what I would do just, at, you know, because and only because it's Steven Thompson. Like he's gone to a draw before, had some a, a lot of close fights in his career. Like one that comes to mind is the Darren Till, the Darren Till fight, which I, I felt like he won. It was just he fought Darren Till over in England. So, um, you know, it's a long shot, but, you know, hey, as long as you're putting, you know, like a quarter unit or something like that on that, it's not, you know, I don't think it's a terrible bet. Um, and then as for the head kick, 100%. It's ironic that you brought that up because I totally missed that in my, in my breakdown when I was rambling, you know, for an hour on, on, on you know, my breakdown of this because I was super excited about it. Um, but that's one thing about Gilbert Burns, like, he is super hittable. He doesn't have good defense, defensive tendencies on the feet. Like, of course, he has big power and nice combos, but 
man, he gets hit. I mean, that, that's the thing about him. And when it comes to a fight against a guy like Steven Thompson, who is just so precise with his striking and he has mixed that with his incredible movement on the feet, like he cuts angles. I easily see, you know, Steven Thompson, you know, throwing that jab, you know, that, or that jab or that straight right with, with the kick right behind it. I mean, he's, he's known for doing that. And um, so I, I would not be shocked if Gilbert Burns got knocked out. There's nothing wrong with taking Steven Thompson. I think it's going to go decision, but Hey, maybe I'll sprinkle a little bit on, on him by the KO because Gilbert Burns is hittable and uh, Steven Thompson has the precision and um, the slickness and the movement to land some, a shot that would knock Burns out. So um, I do not think those are, are, are bad bets on your end. You know, I'm, I'm glad we talked through that one, Gene, you know, to, to the extent that we did, because there wasn't a whole lot of talk of us about, you know, Burns winning this fight. So um, for me to go ahead and, and not land on Burns in this one makes me feel good. And, and I think that we kind of broke down, you know, both of these guys in a sense to where, you know, we laid them out on paper and we talked about, you know, their paths to victory and what they do well and what they don't do well. And I think the minus 160 for Stephen Thompson, if some people are questioning that, um, maybe they shouldn't, you know, because as you and I talked, I felt like maybe the 160 was justified. Maybe Thompson probably gets the win in this one. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and give out those picks. Gene's going to go ahead and give out his picks. Let's jump into the big one here. We got Connor. We got Poirier. We got Connor and Poirier three. This one's going to be interesting. I struggled with this one, Gene. Probably just a little bit less than the Burns and Thompson fight. I'm going to let you go ahead and go first on this one, Gene, because I do want your I, I want to know what your feeling is with this one first before I go ahead and and clutter your mind with, you know, my goofy thoughts, as as I'm sure you and the listeners know uh, at times I'll, I'll do. But uh, I do have some crazy thoughts for this particular Connor and Poirier three uh, trilogy fight. How are you feeling about that one? What do you got? Who's going to get the big one? So I'll preface this by saying this is um, I'm very passionate about. Uh, this matchup, and I'm very passionate in general about the career trajectory of Conor McGregor ever since, I would say, 2016. Um, I've had a lot of debates with fellow MMA fans. I've had a lot of contentious conversations with them. So I'm very passionate about this. So um, bear with me as, as I kind of run through my thoughts on, on this fight and Conor McGregor in, in general. And, you know, whether you're a diehard or, you know, casual MMA fan, I know you're super hyped about about this highly anticipated trilogy matchup between the two best, you know, two of the best lightweights in, in the world, you know, and both fighters have knocked each other out in previous matchups. So that's what's awesome about this trilogy. Um, they get to sell that score. Um, for Dustin Poirier, he should have a title. He should have fought Chandler. He should have fought Oliveira. But he was, in my personal opinion, he was smart and passed up that that chance to fight for the vacant title and instead opted for life-changing money. You know, you fight against Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor said it in the past. It's red panty night, and he's not lying. You know, it really is. You know, you fight him, you're going to make some money. And, and Dustin Poirier, I feel like, was smart to take this fight. It was natural, 1-1 in the rivalry. Why not, why not do the trilogy fight? You see what's happening with the Nate Diaz, right? I mean, everyone's still clamoring for Nate Diaz um, in, in Conor McGregor trilogy fight. And it's been years and years and years. So I think Poirier was like, you know, let's get this over with right now. And then if I win, I can move on to the, to his ultimate dream, which is the, you know, the title fight and ultimately being a, a UFC champion. So for Poirier to take this money fight, it makes sense because 
He just knocked Connor out six months ago. It's not like he's going to fight him years down the line. It's six months ago. So it'll be interesting to see how Connor comes back after a knockout like that. You know, he hasn't had a like full blown knockout like that. Um, Cause I, you know, it was a TKO against Mayweather that was boxing, but he hasn't had a full blown, you know, knockout like that. And, I don't even know if it's ever happened in his career. I'd have to go back and look. For Dustin Poirier this time around, I expect him to implement relatively the same game plan. I think he's going to look to work behind his jab and his check right hook. You know, the check right hook is what led to him getting the finish in their previous fight. Let's not forget about the leg kicks. You know, of course, he's he's guaranteed to mix in the leg kicks. I think that's what set up the check right hook. hook ultimately, he was able to chop down McGregor's legs, say what you want to say, uh, you know, I'll, I'll wait for your response after I'm done breaking my breaking this fight down. But there's been a lot of talk about late kicks and excuses and things of that nature. And it's like, hey, man, this is MMA. It's mixed martial arts. Either you train to fight guys that that are good in dis- uh, different disciplines or you don't. Um, I think he's going to implement those late kicks again. He had a lot of success with that. McGregor looked like a fish out of water when it came to the leg kicks. He didn't know how to check them. He didn't know, you know, he's trying to switch stances and, and Poirier just ate up his other leg. So um, that had a, a big factor in the fight. McGregor wasn't able to get off on his power. He couldn't push off on that leg. So um, you you can almost guarantee that he's going to mix that in again. And then for, for Connor, this is another top billing fight for him, another record payday, something that he's been accustomed to in his illustrious career. You know, beyond that, this fight is a chance for him to get back to his winning ways and a chance at another title. If you if you go back to 2016, he's one in three since 2016. That's including obviously the fight against Mayweather. And I feel like he's trying to get back to that to that point he was when he was sitting on top of that cage at Madison Square Garden holding two belts. Um, since then, he's just I really feel like he's been the shell of himself. He's gonna have to avoid Poirier's leg kicks. And that will allow him to carry his power into the later rounds. And of course, he's going to look to land his his patented and precise counter left. We all know his counter left is I mean, arguably the best best in the game. It's ridiculous. Um, you know, one shot he knocks guys out. So I, I just think that in this fight for his game plan, I think he's going to be smarter. I think he's going to be more defensively sound when when he's throwing. I, I think he's going to try to avoid, obviously, Poirier's counter left hook. And I believe in general, we're going to see a much more patient and collective McGregor. Um, in his last bout, he seemed to be content on trading in the pocket and looking to land that kill shot without being defensively sound or using his movement. It just felt like, man, this there's a lot built up into that fight. And he felt like, man, I have to go out here and just make a statement. I'm just going to knock this guy out. And, man, he he landed a crazy left on Poirier. And Poirier admitted after the fight, like, he hurt me there. I, I was stung. But, you know, for Poirier, Conor McGregor falls into the bag of all the other greats. Poirier has dealt with elite fighters and felt their power. So, of course, Conor can land that precise, that left punch and knock Poirier out. But I don't think it's anything that Poirier hasn't dealt with. But in, in the end, it in that second fight, it did hurt Poirier. He, he admitted it did hurt him. You know, with, with Connor, he's going to have to use that movement, you know, and obviously just be more, for me, it's just about being more patient and more defensively sound. He can't rush into this thing. You know, you're 1-1 in this matchup. You potentially could fight for a title after this. And and I feel like that's his legacy, you know, at the end of the day. Like, can can he get back to that title fight? If he can get back and, and, and fight Charles Oliveira for a title and win, like, man, the rest is history. You know, Conor McGregor is, like, legit one of, the, one of the greatest of all time. But 
if he doesn't, it it's it, I think it's just another example of what we've seen over the past five years since 2016. So he's super talented in his own right. I still feel like he can win fights in the division, but not against the division's elite. You know, and Poirier is amongst the division's elite. You know, you just look at their careers. This is the key for me. This is, you know, or, you know, one of the keys. If you look at their career since 2016, when McGregor was sitting on top of that cage with two titles on his shoulder, and, and, and Poirier in that same year suffered a devastating loss to, to Michael Johnson, you have Poirier that's, he's one in three, and that's including Mayweather fight. He's in three of those fights came via finish. Poirier since that time in 2016 is seven and one, and four of those fights came via finish for him. Seven and one. McGregor won in three and he fought in a boxing match. And then you have Poirier since that time after a devastating loss, he goes on a run of seven and one and he fought like the true elite in the division. For me, I just, I I think that's what it is. I I feel like their career trajectory is just going in in opposite directions. You know, McGregor is trying to capture what once was and Poirier is trying to close and cement himself as one of the division's greatest of all time. So outside of that, narrative you know skill for skill Poirier is just simply the better the better fighter than McGregor I wouldn't be shocked if Poirier tries to go for the submission just to prove a point that he just doesn't have to knock Connor out um and Poirier has that you know in his arsenal my heart says take Connor but my head says take Poirier and I was struggling with you know what I want to do and we've all been in that situation before where we should be betting with our head and we end up making the bet because of our heart. And, and I, I was struggling with that, you know, over the last couple of days, you know, it's, it, I don't think it's really that hard gene, you know, to go ahead and say who the better fighter is. It's Poirier. We know that because he has more tools in his bag. He could pretty much do anything. My concern for Poirier coming into this fight is you're going to give Connor a quick second look. And we saw what that looked like, you know, after Nate went ahead and submitted him, Connor came back, and he looked like a completely different fighter. Um, he he used a lot of leg kicks, things like that. And we know that Connor is going to have some type of a different approach in this fight. I don't think he's going to stand in front of Poirier because, one, he's afraid he's going to get pieced up and knocked out. Or he's going to end up getting his legs kicked to death like he did in the last fight. So I think for me, as I'm talking through you know this and as I thought about it through the last couple of days, Connor's approach is going to be similar to like an Aldo type of approach. He's going to have to go out there and just not let Poirier get set into his game plan. Connor needs to get physical. He needs to rush him. He needs to get him up against the cage. He needs to just keep the pressure on. He can't sit there because then he can end up on the ground, and that's not a good place for Connor to be. And we know Connor's not going to go ahead and probably go for a takedown. That would be crazy if he did. So, what's Connor's path to victory? It's knocking Poirier out, and it's probably going to end up, you know, having to be rather quick. I think Connor comes into this fight going, I need to utilize, you know, the movement that I have. And, and Connor can move really good. And I think he's just going to go ahead and move around, not stay stationary, and just look to try to land that big left. And if it gets a little bit too close, Connor will rush him a little bit. They'll tie up, you know, get in the clinch there, and then probably, you know, get up against the cage, push back and just get right back to his game plan. I think it's going to be quick, in and out, back and forth, side to side. That's the only game plan I see for Connor. And if he hits Poirier, Poirier could easily go down. But I think Poirier one time, I think Poirier in the last fight took one of Connor's best shots. And I don't want to say it didn't stun Poirier, but he didn't look like he was really super affected by that. 
And I believe that that probably got in Connor's head uh, a little bit. As for Poirier, I feel like his game plan has to change. It can't be, well, I'm going to rely on my kicks. I'm going to rely on what I did in the last fight. That's not going to work this fight. He, he would have to fall into, you know, this thing getting drug out into the later rounds where Connor's movement really slows down. And then I could see maybe Poirier going and trying to attack those kicks because, you know, if he comes out and, and I'm sure that, you know, they talked about this in Connor's camp that, look, Connor, if you're standing in front of him, you know, he's going to try to kick you. So here's our, you know, alternative to that, a way to try to defend that. So I just don't think that that's going to happen early in this fight. And I do want to say this, Gene, because you mentioned, you know, Connor kind of giving up, you know, in some of his past fights. But I do have a question for you. When Connor gets hit, right, like he gets dazed, he has to at least, I mean, I don't know, dude, like I've been hit before. You've probably been hit before. Like if somebody hits you and hurts you, the first thing you want to do is get the hell out of the way. Run. I don't care what you have to do. Don't get hit again, especially if you're dazed. And it seems like Connor, when he gets hit, he has no problem just sitting there and staring off in the space and just waiting for that next bomb to come. Like why doesn't Connor move? I don't understand that, but I know you've seen that before. That's something that Connor, in my opinion, he didn't have to get knocked out in the last fight. Maybe he's just too proud, or maybe he just wants to go out on his shield. But, like, what do you make of that? Like, have you seen that with Connor? It's like, dude, get the hell out of the way. Run around, do something, jump into the clinch, do something. Don't just stand there. And it seems like he does that a lot. That has to change. We could end up seeing Connor getting cracked, staring off in the space, wait, thinking like, oh, I'm going to be able to dodge this next punch. And, and we saw Poirier piece him up. So uh, before I give my pick, is that something that you notice with Connor? And it's just like, dude, like, why aren't you running? Because I would run if a guy's throwing bombs at me. 100%. 100%. You, you're spot on with that analysis. Eh? Yeah. And that Nate Diaz fight, that's he he takes that crazy left the, – the, the um you know, crazy one, two, and he kind of like stumbles back and just, st- he just stares at Nate Diaz and Nate Diaz is like, okay, you're going to let me come in. I'm, I'm going to throw another punch on you. And then finally Connor, you know, tries to die for a takedown. And then in the, the Poirier fight, like you just said, the one that was in January, the same exact thing. He lands that crazy, that crazy check, uh, check hook on him. And he kind of just like stares at him, stares at his stomach. I mean, I, I we, we, you know, we both studied the films, you know, breaking down these fights. And, and that's one one thing that I, I clearly re, uh, remember watching over and over and over is like once he takes that check right hook, he just kind of stares at him and looks at his stomach like, uh, where am I at? And I don't know what it is, man. I, I, I don't know what it is. I, I really don't. You know, it's funny you brought up Nate Diaz because I was thinking the same thing. I was like, dude, I'm like, why aren't you going after Edwards? Like, why are you standing there pointing at him and getting the crowd all riled up? Nate could have won that fight. All he had to do was just go after him and just keep piecing him up. And it was like, you gave him enough time to recover. And Edwards, like, I think there was a difference between what we saw with Diaz and Edwards versus what we saw with Connor and Poirier. Connor at least had enough recognition. Like, all right, I got cracked. I should be able to get, like, he should have gotten out of the way. Edwards, was clearly almost out on his feet. I think there was something different there. And it was like, you know, you just get frustrated sometimes watching the fights. Like, Connor, get the hell out of the way. Nate, go get him. It's like, what are you doing, dude? But it's funny when we watch these fights, how sometimes, you know, they end up, you know, they end up breaking out. But I guess, you know, it's it's a lot different when, you know, you're in there versus when you're watching them. 
for me, I don't know. I, I honestly, I'm, I'm, my pick is to pass, uh, Gene, ultimately. My heart says bet Connor, and my head says bet Poirier. I can tell you that what I, what I probably know about this fight is it's not going to go the distance. And that's like minus 500. And I don't, I mean, there, it makes no sense for me to go ahead and bet that. Um, unless I find maybe a way to tie that into a parlay with, I don't know, maybe, maybe uh, Sean O'Malley, but I still think that ends in the first round. So I'm going to keep working on this one, Gene. I don't have a pick for this fight because I'm torn between who wins this fight and and how it really ends. But I just, ultimately, I don't think it goes the distance. Um, you could bet by KO and stuff like that, but that's still like minus 300. So, um, you know, they're basically telling you that one of these guys is going to knock the, knock each other out and it's not going to go five rounds. I think it's just find find the best book, find the best odds. And that's probably, you know, what you're going to end up having to do with this one. I'm going to pass, Gene. I'm probably, it, more than likely, it'll be an action bet just because the fight's coming on. And, um, you know, it's not going to be any for a big amount for sure. It'd be a pizza bet, action type of bet for me. It'll probably be easier for me to recap it than it is to go in and handicap it. So I'll leave it at that, Gene. You had some final thoughts on this one, and we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Yeah, so I, I totally agree with you. Don't get me wrong. This is... Uh... This is a tough fight to call. I obviously I'm super passionate and feel a certain way about Connor. So, but you know when you're just looking at it with like the odds and things of that nature, you know um, one thing that stood out to me in Connor McGregor's interview um, today or pardon me yesterday was that he said he's he's away from his family. Um, not only in that interview you could see the old Connor was kind of coming back, um, but also he's not around his family. So he's taking this serious, man. You know he wants to get this you know, the, the, this rubber match, he wants to win this rubber match. And then ultimately that would parlay him into a, a title fight. And that would be huge for his legacy. 100%. I think he realizes he's one in three and, you know, since 2016, he's kind of fallen off quote unquote. And um, so I, I think this is big for him. So he's focused, family's not there. So I, I believe in that. So I understand where you're coming from in the sense of it's, it's tough to break it down. If you are going to take Conor McGregor, um, I, I do think it's going to be by KO. I, I, I don't see him winning a decision victory. Like you said, it was like minus 500 for it to go, you know, not the distance. So obviously the odds makers believe this fight is not going to go the distance. I'm, I'm in the same boat. I do not think it goes goes the distance. So if you're going to take Conor McGregor, you know, I saw him. If, if you take Conor by, by KO, it's plus 140. Um, right now he's like plus, you know, whatever, 105, 110. Um, I think that's going to change. So um, what I'll say is, if you're going to take Poirier, just relax. Don't 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 jump in there yet. Relax. Take you know, wait till Saturday right before the fight. If you want, you know, a couple hours before. Shit. Even if you want to do it right before the fight kicks off. If you're going to go Poirier, just wait because all the all of that counter money is going to come in late, 100. Especially when people see, hey, he's a dog, and I understand why people want to go that route. Super talented. You're getting counter and a dog. January rolls reverse Connor minus 300 or whatever was 290. And then you had Poirier at plus two, uh, 250. So it's a major, major swing in six months. So if you're going to take Connor, jump on him now, just from a straight bet for him, just to win, jump on Connor now. If you're going to take Poirier, wait until Saturday. Um, also, if you're going to take Connor, I feel like you're going to get better odds with the KO because I feel like that's his only path to victory, his clear path to victory. Sneaky bet. I personally have this as like one of my, you know, uh, prop bets of, of the week. 
this is it's crazy. I'm going on a limb for this one, but I do. I am going to go with over two and a half rounds. Super crazy. I, I know everything's going against me on this, but I just feel like exactly what I said. There's a lot on the line for this. For Poirier, he wins. He gets a towel shot. Conor McGregor. Not only does he get the towel shot, but it kind of it kind of washes away the past five years of his career where he's kind of been mediocre, to be honest with you. And uh, so I think there's a lot on the line. I think Connor came out in that last fight and he was super aggressive. I feel like he's going to be a little bit more cautious. Um, And I know I agree with you. Like he should, quote unquote, just kind of not rush Poirier, but get him out of there sooner than later. Because over the course of, if if it goes five rounds, I don't think um, Poirier is losing. So I agree with you that, McGregor needs to get him out of there early, but I just do think that Conor McGregor is going to take it and be more cautious and take it slowly. Why do I feel that way? Or is there an example of that? Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz, he came out there, guns blazing, ends up losing in the second round. Dustin Poirier in the second fight, guns blazing, loses in the second round. Comes out in the, in the next fight against Diaz, it goes the it goes the distance, unanimous decision. He was way more patient in that fight. So, um, I anticipate him to be more cautious as a result, Poirier too, a little bit more cautious. And so I'm going to go over two and a half uh, rounds. I think it's like plus 120, plus 130. It actually might go up as the, as the week goes on, but uh, that's like one sneaky play I have. So, All right. Well, good stuff there, Gene. I think we broke down this card uh, to an extensive degree, but I'm sure we went ahead and gave our listeners a ton of things to go ahead and think about. Uh, probably one of our better podcasts as far as breaking down the fights and going ahead and informing everybody, you know, kind of like what we think each fighter is going to do, but, you know, also their personalities and, and what their, you know, what their fighting styles are. So, you know, a lot of fights we previewed, so you guys probably got a lot of good information. And, uh, you know, this is going to be a card where a lot of people do follow uh, Gene. So we're going to see a lot of these names coming up here. So hopefully went ahead, gave those guys a lot of information, gave those guys a lot of winners as well. You guys know where to find us on Twitter. You guys can get me at SleepyG underscore pregame. You can get Gene at MeanGene0022. And you can find us both on the best sports betting information site on the web, pregame.com. With that said, I'd like to wish you guys all the best of luck. Enjoy the fights.